Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. What's up, Brazos Fellowship? Glad y'all are here. Um, we're officially in Christmas season, huh? Yeah? Thanksgiving is behind us. You saw the video earlier, like we're just fully embracing it here at Brazos Fellowship. Now, if you are the kind of person that doesn't like listening to Christmas music until December 24th, anyone brave enough to admit that in here? Okay, thank you. I just, I just want to say you're my people, okay? Um, my name is Chris, and I don't like Christmas music. Um, and I'm also the college pastor here, and I'm excited to be with you. I got heckled in the first service. I just want you to know. I, I'm just putting myself out there, and I got heckled in the first service for being honest. So thank y'all for being kind and accepting of my flaws this morning. Uh, I'm glad that you are here. Has anyone seen The Mandalorian? Anybody? Yeah, a few people. Okay, so it's a show on Disney Plus that came out a few years ago. It's in the Star Wars universe. Not a big Star Wars guy. Don't like Christmas music. Not a big Star Wars guy. But see, there's the heckling again. Um, but uh, here, here's the, th- the deal. It was really, really popular, and so I was intrigued. It's a show that follows a group of bounty hunters from the planet Mandalore. Now, don't worry. We're not going to, like, nerd out this morning. Uh, but here's what was really interesting to me. They just had this way of doing things, this, this behavior, this way of life right? It was this lifestyle that they were fully committed to, and so it didn't matter if it was countercultural. It didn't matter what other people said about how they did things. They were all in, and so whenever it came time to make a big decision or to go out on this mission, they would come together, and someone would say, this is the way, and every time the response would be, Walt nailed it, this is the way, right? Everyone would respond, this is the way. It's essentially as if they were reminding each other, hey, this is who we are. This is how we do things. We took an oath, we live by a code, this is the way. Now, you probably have never met a bounty hunter from Mandalore, right? But maybe you've met somebody that works at Chick-fil-A, and... Uh, <laughs> kind of the same thing, right? They just, they just have a way of doing things, right? You, you say something to them, and they respond every time by saying, my pleasure, right? That's just how, it doesn't matter what you said to them. They're just going to say, my pleasure, because it's just ingrained in who they are. They're just trained to respond that way. Uh, I learned this early on in marriage. My wife is in this service. Um, I learned this early on in marriage. There is a right way to fold the towels. I don't know if you knew that or not. There is a right way to load the dishwasher. And so now, as we're raising kids of our own, we are teaching them to be a shepherd in this house. This is the way, right? This is what this looks like. This is how you do this. But this is not a new idea. You can go all the way back to the first century, to the teachings of Jesus, and you see that his invitation was for people to follow a new way. His invitation was for people to practice a new way of doing things, a new lifestyle. In fact, the early church didn't call themselves Christians. When they would refer to themselves, they would say that they were followers of the way, right? Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, there's this moment where he is standing trial in front of Governor Felix. He's being accused of all of this stuff, of being a troublemaker, inciting violence and riots, 
And in Acts 24, we see Paul's defense of himself to these accusations. He says, these men cannot prove the things that they accuse me of doing. They say I'm doing all this crazy stuff, and they can't prove any of it. But here's what I will admit to. I admit that I follow the way. Paul is even saying and owning, hey, I am a follower of the way. The word in the original text used for the way essentially means comprehensive teaching. A way that you and I might say it today is a whole way of life. It's a holistic way to approach doing things. It's as if Jesus was saying, this is the way. And so for the early church, being a follower of the way was, was not just about a church service or a small group. It was not just about getting to heaven one day. They recognized that it was going to directly impact every single area of their life because Jesus' invitation to the early church was not just to believe something. He was not just presenting a, a list of do's and don'ts or, or a new teaching to believe. His invitation was to follow but, but for you and I today, it's, it's pretty understood and common knowledge that we can be convinced of something, but not committed to it, right? Like, we can be convinced that something is good or true or beneficial, but that doesn't mean that we're actually committed to doing what's necessary to apply that to our life. We, we can be convinced that eating healthy is good. Our doctor tells us that. Our spouse tells us that. We can be convinced, but bacon is gooder right? Thank you. Amen, right? Bacon is good. Chick-fil-A is good. And so even though I'm convinced that eating healthy is good, there are other things that are good as well. And that doesn't mean that I'm actually committed to eating healthy. We can be convinced that keeping a budget is good. It is a good idea when you have money left in the bank at the end of the month, right? It doesn't matter how much money you make. It's good to keep a budget. We know this is true, Yet we keep going into our favorite stores, Best Buy, Target, Home Depot, your, whatever your poison of choice is, and then we see all of these sales, and now we're convinced that we need one of everything, right? And so we buy it. There goes the budget. Convinced but not actually committed. You can be convinced that you need more sleep, but then we watch Netflix until it asks us, are you still watching? <laughs> and we say, Yes, and we watch another episode, right? Like, we're convinced of things all the time, but not necessarily committed to them. And because this is acceptable for us in our culture, we then lay this on top of our faith so often that we can be convinced that Jesus is good. We can be convinced that Jesus is who he says that he is. And you may be here this morning, and you're like, Chris, I'm not convinced of that. That's okay. We're so glad you're here. I hope you find some clarity and some answers today. But we can be convinced that God's mercy and his grace and his love are a good thing, but that does not mean that we're committed to doing what's necessary to live in a way that models that, right? Convinced but not committed. But when you go back to the early church, this concept would have been completely foreign to them convinced but not committed. That doesn't make any sense. They don't have a category for that because Jesus was not trying to convince them of something. He was inviting them to follow. And we see this in Matthew chapter 4. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come 
follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets, and at once they followed him. There's this immediate response that happens, right? They are doing one thing, this invitation is extended, and they leave what they're doing, and they go and follow. This is not about being convinced. This is about being committed. The very next verse says this, a little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father, Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called to them to come too, and they immediately followed him, leaving their boat and their father behind. Now, it might have been a little easier for James and John, because they're like, hey, dad, you get to fix the nets. We're out of here, right? But it's, once again, there's an immediate response. The invitation is extended. They accept the invitation, and they go, follow. We jump down to Matthew chapter 9. We see it again. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him, right? Imagine you are sitting at work in your office, cubicle, desk, whatever, behind the counter, and someone walks in that you are familiar with, like you know who they are, you've heard about them, but you've never met them, you don't know much, and they walk up and they're like, hey, I want you to come follow me, and you just stop what you're doing, and you quit your job, and you go follow them. This seems like a very foreign concept to us, in the same way that to the early church, convinced but not committed is foreign, to us, like just stopping what you're doing and going and following doesn't make any sense. So it's important to understand a little bit of the Jewish culture. When we think of Jesus, we think Savior of the world, Son of God. But in the first century, when they thought of Jesus and when they saw Jesus, they knew him as a rabbi. A rabbi was a Hebrew term for teacher, but not just any teacher. It was a teacher of religion, a teacher of the law, right? And so I want to look briefly at the Jewish educational system. And I want you to hang with me for a second because I think it gives us a little bit of context to these guys' experience. There were three levels in the Jewish educational system. The first level was Beit Sefer. So Beit Sefer was known as House of the Book. This was for boys six to 10 years old. Now they were elementary school learning normal elementary school things, right? Reading, writing, arithmetic. On top of that, they also were being taught the Torah, the first five books of what we know as the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy, right? They weren't just being taught the Torah, they were also working to memorize the Torah. Now, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old daughter. I walked in yesterday, true story. I walked into my house yesterday, and you know what they're memorizing? Taylor Swift lyrics. <laughs> so, uh, this is impressive to me that a six-year-old, seven-year-old, whatever, would be memorizing the Torah, the book of Numbers or Deuteronomy. Have you read those, right? These six-year-olds are memorizing this, but at the end of Beit Sefer, when they became 10 years old, most of these students would transition out of the educational system, and they would go work the family trade. They would be a carpenter, a fisherman, whatever the family trade was. But like the top students at Beit Sefer would move on to the second phase, the second level, which was Beit Talmud. Beit Talmud was known as House of Learning. Now, this was for boys who were 10 years old to 14 years old. It's in Beit Talmud where they would begin to learn the art of answering a question by asking a question. We see Jesus do this often in the Gospels. 
It's as if to say, hey, don't just go out and show people how smart you are. Help people discover truth for themselves. They would learn the art of doing this during Beit Talmud. Again, at the end of Beit Talmud, most students would move on to the family trade. But the elite, the top of the class, the Ivy League Harvard boys would move on to the third level, which was Beit Midrash. Now, Beit Midrash is house of study. This is for boys 15 years and older. And this is the first time through all of their education where they actually get to go and study under a rabbi. They're not just learning about the law or reading the Torah. They're actually going and sitting under the teaching of a rabbi. There's essentially this draft that happens. There's these intense interviews and tests. And then a rabbi would go up to a student and they would say, hey, I think you can cut it. They would extend the same invitation that Jesus extended to these fishermen and tax collector. Come follow me. So this invitation goes out to these students. And this is a big deal. Because this is when they graduate from just being a student to actually being a disciple. Now, we don't use the word disciple a lot in the English language. Mostly our context of the word disciple is the first 12 guys who followed Jesus, right? The 12 disciples. But the original Greek, the word that we interpret and translate as disciple is actually the word mathetes. Mathetes. So when they would say, hey, come be my disciple, they were saying, come be my mathetes. And most scholars, or a lot of scholars, would argue that a better translation of this word mathetes is not actually disciple, but apprentice. So we know what an apprentice is, right? An apprentice comes under a teacher to learn from them, to become like them. And so when they would extend this invitation, come follow me, they're saying, come be my mathetes. And this was the invitation that Jesus extended. Come be my apprentice, come learn from me. And in the first century, for a mathetes, for an apprentice, they had three basic goals. The first goal was this, to be with your rabbi. Now, this was not metaphorical. This was very literal. Go be with your rabbi 24-7. You eat where your rabbi eats. You sleep where your rabbi sleeps. You are doing life consistently observing and watching your rabbi to learn how they do things, to see what makes them tick, to see when they engage and when they disengage. You spend time with your rabbi. There was this, um, this common like a blessing that was applied to these mathetes, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Now, when I was at A&M, I was a student in journalism. I was a, a journalism major, but I was in the College of Ag, right? And so it would be a true statement to say that I studied agriculture. I took animal science and turf grass and all that stuff. But I can promise you, I did not apprentice in agriculture, okay? Like, that was, that was not my thing, because a, a student learns something to pass a test, an apprentice seeks to learn in order to become like their teacher. And so they would say, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And essentially they're saying, may you walk so closely with them that you're covered in the dust that they kick up as they walk. That you're spending life with them. That you're so like tightly knit to their lifestyle and their way of doing things that you are covered in the dust of your rabbi. So the first was to be with your rabbi. The second goal was this, to become like your rabbi. Now this is where they really start to imitate their rabbi. 
to live how they live, to think about things in the way that their rabbi thinks about. This is no longer just observation. This is when they really transition into becoming like their rabbi. How do they feel about certain things? What do they do? I'm going to begin to do those things, which leads to the third goal, do what your rabbi did. Because the goal of all of these mathetes was one day to become a rabbi themselves right? Like, they're invested in this. They're investing their whole life because they want to become a rabbi. There's going to be this point where their rabbi comes to them and says, hey, kid, you did it. You made it to the finish line. Go make mathetes. Go make your own apprentices, your own disciples. Take everything you have learned and you have seen and go apply it. This was the invitation in the first century that Jesus extended, but he wasn't extending it to the elite. He wasn't extending it to the best of the best. He was extending this invitation to bait safer dropouts. These fishermen, these tax collectors, these normal guys. He extends and says, hey, come follow me, come be my mathetes. And so if we take that model and we flip it from first century to 21st century, what does it look like for you and I? To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. To, to be with Jesus every moment, being aware of the presence of God. To, to create space, to intentionally have margin, whether that's in the context of community or service, worship, prayer, through his word, to be aware of his presence and to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus. There's a formation that happens in our inner self, where it begins to change not only the way that we think, but who we actually are as we become like Jesus, and then to do what Jesus did. There's a a famous theologian, Pastor Will quotes him often, Dallas Willard, and he says this, do what Jesus would do if he were you. In the 90s, which was a long time ago, there was this saying, or this slogan, WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? People wore it on bracelets, they wore it on t-shirts, and it was, it was giving you a tool that when you found yourself in a moment, whether it was in, with your girlfriend, or a situation at work, or whatever it was, you could ask this question, man, what would Jesus do in this moment? I think it's a good question, but I don't think it's a great question, because when we look at scripture, we, we don't know what Jesus would do if he were an engineer, right? Like, there's no, there's no evidence. We don't see Jesus in the Bible as an engineer. We know he likes math. He's great at multiplication, right? But, but we don't actually, <laughs> thank you, uh, but we don't actually know what Jesus would do if he were an engineer. And so it's an incomplete question because no one in this room is a single male Jewish itinerant rabbi. That is not any of us, right? And so just asking the question, what would Jesus do, is is incomplete. But if we start asking the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? Like, do what Jesus would do if he were you. It starts to help us unpack this idea. Like, what if Jesus was a first-generation college student trying to put themselves through school? What would he do then? What would Jesus do if he was a single parent trying to raise his kids and support them, or if he was newly retired, figuring out being an empty nester and what it looks like in this new season of life? Like, okay, now what does that look like? What, what would Jesus do, and how would he live if he had your personality, your sense of humor? That may not be a good thing. What would Jesus do if he had your family history, 
and the baggage that comes with that, or, or your IQ. What would Jesus do if he had your socioeconomic status? Like, how would Jesus live? What would he do with your time, your money, your resources? When I was in junior college, before I transferred here to A&M, this really became personal for me. I grew up in a Christian home. My, my parents loved us well, but we kind of kept to, at, together as ourselves, as a family. We, didn't, we weren't like overly social, really involved in the community, whatever. And, and when I went to junior college, I moved in with a family, and I saw genuine, authentic hospitality for the first time in my life. It's not that my parents were inhospitable. They weren't. Right? But I just saw a different way of doing things. I saw a family that consistently asked this question, what would Jesus do with our time, money, and resources? What would Jesus do if he were us? And they opened their hands, they opened their hearts, they opened their lives to me and to so many other people. And it, it shaped me. It formed who I am. If you look at our family now and our life and the way that we are hospitable and invite people in, it's because of this experience of seeing this firsthand. To apprentice under Jesus is an attempt to answer this question, what would Jesus do if he were me? Like, what does that look like to, to bridge the gap between our spiritual life and our real life? Jesus didn't talk a whole lot about our spiritual life, but he talked about our real life all the time. What does it do to get rid of the separation between our Jesus time and everything else, our classes or our budget, our passions and desires? Like, what does it look like to infuse Jesus into our sexuality, into our health, into social justice or racial disparity? What does it look like for those things to merge together? It is not Jesus and then everything else. But if we are doing it the way that Jesus says, it is just Jesus. What would Jesus do if he were you? And to be a mathetes was to model your life after the life of your teacher. And it's in this first century context that Jesus extends this invitation to these fishermen and this tax collector. In our culture today, our context is very different. It looks completely different today, but the goal has not changed and the invitation remains and we know that the invitation extends to us because we see Jesus's own words he's not talking to a select group of people in Mark chapter 8 verses 34 through 37 then calling the crowd to join his disciples he said if any of you want to be my follower you must give up your own way take up your cross and follow me if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Be with Jesus. Become like Jesus. Do what Jesus would do if he were you. Some would call this practicing the way. This is the way. Here's what it isn't. It isn't a set of rules and regulations or beliefs or ideas. That is what we would call theology. Okay? It isn't just a set of do's and don'ts. That's what we would call ethics. It's not just a study on the church and how we gather together and what worship looks like. That's what we would call ecclesiology. It is all of those things, but it is so much more. The invitation is into a lifestyle based on the life of Jesus. 
and we see Jesus' own words when he explains what this looks like and how it applies to our life in Matthew chapter 22. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is saying, this is the way. This is my way. Love God, love people. The beautiful thing is we don't have to guess because we have these biographies of the life of Jesus. The first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're not just a collection of Jesus' teaching. This is not systematic theology. They are actually biographies of his life. They give us details. They tell us stories about how he did things. Like in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, says, Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. This is Jesus modeling what it looks like to be with your rabbi, to be with Jesus, to make space and time for that. We see in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones that he wanted to go with him. He's like, hey, come spend time with me. Begin to be formed by me. Become like Jesus. John eleven thirty five. Then Jesus wept. This is not theology. This is reality. This is Jesus showing his emotion, his compassion, his empathy, his care and concern for his community. Do what Jesus would do if he were you. It's not just about a set of ideas or beliefs. And you see, we so often are comfortable looking to our heroes or looking to um, pop culture and trying to model our life after things that we see that make people successful, right? We find out that Bill Gates has a reading day every single week. So we're like, man, maybe if I have a reading day every week, I'll be worth $117.2 billion one day. Try it out and let me know how it goes, okay? Or we're like, okay, Michael Jordan shot 100 free throws every day at the end of practice, and I'm trying to be the best at my craft, and so what are my free throws? What is that thing that I can consistently do every single day to try and see this growth? And we're comfortable doing this and applying what we see in other people's lives, and yet when it comes to the life of Jesus, we so often skip right over that, and we go straight to his teaching, there's nothing wrong with his teaching, okay? Please hear me. His teaching is of utmost importance, but we're trying to get straight to the information. It isn't just about information. It's about formation. It's not just about getting the understanding in our head and the information that Jesus is conveying because his first invitation was not just an invitation to believe. His very first invitation was an invitation to to follow, to be a mathetase, to be formed by the one you are following. It's about formation, to adopt the life and lifestyle of Jesus. Because the truth is, for you and for me, our life is a byproduct of our lifestyle. It's just a fact. The life that we are living is a byproduct of our lifestyle. Style. And so I want to look one more time in Mark chapter 8, this time in the message. This is a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. 
don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose your soul, the real you? What could you ever trade for your soul? This is the invitation for you and for me today, an invitation to mathetes, to apprentice under Jesus, to model our lifestyle after the lifestyle of Jesus. It's a lifestyle of surrender, but Jesus promises us we will gain our soul. And so today, it doesn't matter where you came walking in. It doesn't matter if you fall in the curious category, the convinced category, or, or even the committed category. I want to challenge all of us to start where we are, not where we think we should be. Okay, don't look at the life of Jesus and say, okay, that's where I'm supposed to be, and so that's where I'm going to start. We start where we are. Maybe you walked in today and you're curious. Here's what I would say to you. Stay curious. Keep showing up. Keep asking questions. Man, have a conversation with the person that invited you today. Share with them your concerns or your curiosity, your thoughts. Find a staff member, one of our volunteers. Maybe it's time for you to get a Bible, which we have them at the Welcome Center. We would love to give you a Bible today and read through the Gospels. Cheat code, Mark's the shortest one. (laughs) But don't forget, Jesus' first invitation was not to believe. His first invitation was to follow. And so as you're staying curious, what if you just begin to apply some of the lifestyle of Jesus to your life and see what happens? See how it changes things. Or maybe you're here today and you're in the convinced category or maybe even the committed category. Here's what I would say to all of us. Get dusty. Get dusty. Where in your life? Are you not following as closely as you could? This is not about legalism. This is not about do's and don'ts. I'm not saying Jesus is absent from your life. But where in my life am I not close enough to be covered in the dust of my rabbi? Maybe for you it is really focusing on loving people that you disagree with. Or maybe it is doing some self-examination before you do criticism of people in your life. You know the whole taking care of the plank in your own eye before the speck of dust in somebody else's eye? Whatever that looks like, there are areas in all of our lives where we could be following closer. What would Jesus do if he were you? Because here's the truth that I want to end with today. Believing in Jesus' name is how we become a Christian. It's nothing else, right? You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's it. It is by grace that we have been saved. Nothing else. Believing in Jesus is how we become a Christian, but following in Jesus' ways is how you be a Christian. This is why I love the mission here at Brazos Fellowship. We exist to guide people into a growing relationship with Jesus, and we think that that happens best by helping your faith and your life work together. 
that there's not a separation from Jesus and everything else, but our faith and our life come together. Is belief enough for salvation? Yes. But Jesus did not just invite us to be believers. The invitation was mathetes, to be a follower. And followers make a difference. Followers make a difference in their classrooms and their workplace. Followers make a difference in their dorm rooms and their neighborhoods. Followers make a difference in their families. So the invitation to you and to me is there. It is an invitation to freedom. It is an invitation to fullness. Jesus said in John 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Stay curious. Get dusty. Do what Jesus would do if he were you. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can come into this place and it doesn't really matter where we're coming from because the invitation was opened to the crowd. It doesn't matter if we have the background or the pedigree, if we're elite or we can quote enough verses. God, what matters is our obedience. What matters is our decision to follow. So, God, help us follow. Help us to model our lifestyle after your lifestyle, to consistently ask the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? And if you're here today and you're like, Chris, I I am definitely at least convinced that Jesus is who he says that he is, and maybe even committed but there are areas in my life where I need to get dusty. And if that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you this morning. There are hands going up all over the room. God, help us this week. Help us to follow closely. God, we're not trying to prove anything to anyone else. God, this is not about winning approval or checking off a list. God, this is about modeling our life after your life. God, learning from our rabbi. God, help us to get dusty this week in the way that we be with you, become like you, and do what you would do if you were us. God, help us to get dusty this week. You can put your hands down. And if you're here this morning, and you're like, Chris, I I came in curious, but I think that I'm convinced. I think that I'm, I'm ready to model my life after the life of Jesus. I think I'm ready to say yes to the way. When Jesus says, this is the way, I want that to be true in my life. I want to give my life, give up my way, and do it his way. If that is you, I want to invite you to pray a prayer. Here's the deal. There is nothing magical about praying a specific prayer. There's no perfect words. There's not a sinner's prayer in Scripture. We are told if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that is what salvation looks like. Believing in the name of Jesus. But I want you to pray this prayer with me if this is you. God, I need you. God, I've tried my way. I've tried to model my life after lots of other things. And it's brought me to this place. And I don't like it. I need you. God, I confess with my mouth. I believe that you are Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. God, I choose you today to follow in your way, to model my life after your life. God, I choose you.
if you just prayed that prayer this morning, I would love to know that so that I can celebrate and be praying with you. If you would just raise your hand, nobody's looking around, saying yes to Jesus today. Thank you, too, right here in the middle, one up here in the front, over there in the back. Thank you so much. Anybody else saying yes? Thank you right here, sir, up front, over here in the back. Thank you so much. Saying yes to Jesus, I'm choosing to follow you and make you my Lord today. God, thank you. Thank you that no matter where we are or where we're coming from, we can meet with you. And the invitation is the same today. Come follow me, be my mathetase. And so God, help us this week to stay curious and get dusty. We love you so much. It's in your awesome, holy name that we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. We will see you next week for Christmas at the movies. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.